The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. Hi, my name is Dan. I was raised in the church and sensed the call to ministry at a very young age. And so I followed that calling and became a pastor. I graduated from a Christian university and got married and began to raise a family. After 20 years in ministry, we went from a mountaintop to a very low valley. After my wife left and divorce ripped our family apart, I felt the weight of raising three children alone. And in the rules of the church at that time, I was now no longer able to pastor a church. And so I left the profession that I had prepared for and worked for my whole life. We soon lost our home that I had purchased and at times I wondered how I was even going to provide a meal, the next meal for my family. When bitterness and anxiety gripped my life and it even began to affect my physical health. I had many questions for God that seemingly went unanswered. I kept thinking of the military slogan, no soldier left behind. And here I was wounded and bleeding on the battlefield of life and ministry and it seemed like there was no one there to help me. I was walking alone and no joy, no strength left. I felt like every decision that I made was dictated by the circumstances of my life. And so withdrawal and isolation became my way of survival. You ever have moments in life when you thought, or you've said, or you've just wondered, what were they thinking? Or maybe for you, it's a little different. It's you've actually afterward went, what was I thinking? And usually in those moments, when you or they wonder what were they thinking or what was I thinking, usually those situations go from like bad to worse. They seem to like create kind of this crazy spiral that things start getting wildly out of control. And the tendency to mess up our lives. In fact, um, Ronald, he was a, uh, a native of Vermont. He got a chance to go on kind of like a once in a lifetime safari to Nambia, Africa. And while he was on the safari, he was with a group of people uh, and they were uh, from all different countries. And he was kind of bragging to them about all of the great things about America. And to prove his point, he had a, a large bottle of uh, super glue no joke, you can look this story up, it's true. Uh, and so to make his point about the marvels of America, he squirted several ounces of super glue on his hands. And then there was a rhino named Sally going by. And to prove his point, he reached out and he stuck his hands on the rear end of the rhino. He, he along with the other foreigners were shocked at the uh, quality of the super glue, how it instantly, froze him to the rear end of the rhino. And Sally uh, started running wildly around the area. They were like, and apparently in an area where like the animals were like penned in. And uh, she, she runs around, trampled uh, over two fences, gored a shed, killed three pygmy goats along with a duck. And the story gets worse. Uh, Sally was being treated for constipation. 
and the laxatives actually started to kick in as she was running around scared for her life because she had a guy attached to her rear end and uh, her bowels let loose and he started getting covered with over 30 gallons of rhino diarrhea. Yeah, to the extent that the, uh, the caretakers actually got shovels to shield his head and, and push away the pile so that he could actually breathe. That's how much diarrhea we're talking about. And they, so they had to tranquilize uh, Sally and then use a solvent to get his hands loose from her rear end. And I read that story and I was like, what was Ronald thinking? Oh, that's right. He wasn't thinking. And, uh, you know, I feel like I've had plenty of moments in my life when I just wasn't thinking. And you've had moments in your life when you just weren't thinking. You were listening to something else. You were listening to some crazy desire. You were listening to some out of control drive. You were listening to some crazy thought in your head that was like, hey, wouldn't that be fun? I know, because I have done it my fair share of times. And the problem is not just when we're like, oh, wouldn't that be fun? But when we take the crazy glue of life and we stick our hands on the proverbial rhino and it starts running out of control. And in those moments, a moment of impulse becomes a lifetime. And something that was meant to be a secret becomes our public label. No matter how hard we try to run from it, no matter how much we try to escape it, we can't seem to hide it. And as a result, it leads us to the point where we start to feel unfit, unqualified. Even God can't use my life. I've messed up or someone else has messed up and I've got sticky glue on my hands and I've got rhino dung all over my reputation. That's certainly how Samson felt. The story of Samson's recorded in the book of Judges, which is a which captures a specific season in the history of Israel when they were in a chronic cycle of failure. They kept making mistake after mistake. And very much like Ronald, it seemed like he was forfeiting his future. Uh, the nation of Israel seemed to have forfeited their future and Samson becomes just another chapter in the story and the history of Israel's failure. In this season, the Philistines had taken control of and were abusing and mistreating the nation of Israel. And so what God would do is he would raise up a deliverer to free the people and then rule over them. And so God uniquely chose Samson before he was even born. In fact, before he was born, an angel appeal, appeared to his mother and said, you're gonna have a son and I've chosen your son to be a deliverer and you need, you need to raise him in a way so that he lives different from all the other kids. And so when Samson was born, his mother challenged him and they called it, he, he gave a Nazarite vow or a, a, the way of the Nazarene. And what that meant was that he wasn't allowed to drink alcohol and he wasn't allowed to cut his hair and he wasn't allowed to touch anything that was dead. 
And some of you are like, hey, I should be a Nazarene. This is a good deal. I can be a special chosen person of God. Uh, and so he, in some, in many ways, uh, Samson was very unique and different from everyone else. But then there were a few ways about Samson that made him very much like all the rest of us. He had some very natural desires. In fact, one of his um, desires that really set him up for failure were that he really liked women. And I don't just mean he liked women. I mean, he wanted to, uh, he wanted to go after women that he was forbidden from loving. And uh, so it, as a result, he met and caught, uh, you know, like, uh, another woman caught his eye. The problem was it was a Philistine woman. And, and this was kind of like his tendency where he would fall in love with women that he wasn't supposed to love. But worse, he was, they were his enemy. He was raised up by God to be a deliverer of Israel to conquer the Philistines. And instead of conquering them, he's falling madly in love with and lust with Philistine women. And so he goes back to his parents and he says, hey, I want you to get me that woman. And so here's the story. It's found in Judges chapter uh, 14. And, he, and his parents say to him, isn't there anybody better? Like an Israelite woman? Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all of our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She is the right one for me. And actually uh, in the uh, ESV translation of the Bible, it reads, and I appreciate the way it writes because it's kind of a better and more accurate translation of the original language, which says, she is right in my eyes. And that immediately looks ahead to one of the last lines or the last line in the book of Judges, the way this, chap, this book ends is this final statement in Judges chapter 21, verse 25, which reads, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And there it is. The people just did whatever they wanted, just like Samson did what was right in his eyes. And he goes after an enemy woman. And some of you are like, you're having all kinds of compassion right now. You're like, oh, this is like a Romeo and Juliet story. Like, shouldn't he be able to love whoever he wants to love? No, no, no. They were enemies of God. They weren't just enemies of Israel. They hated what God loves and they hated God. As a result, they hated God's people. So for Samson to love this Philistine woman was to love what God does not love and to love someone that, that hates God. You see, so it's a little more extreme than just like a, some like, oh, Ro Romeo and Juliet kind of a story. He did what was right in his own eyes. And you and I can relate because like Ronald, who puts his hands on a, I don't even know why, why would he? Why would you even think of even touching the rear end of a rhino, let alone putting super glue on your hands and touching the rhino? And this is what Samson does. Samson sees the proverbial rhino and super glues himself to her. And then diarrhea and destruction and disaster, and it wrecks his life. And what God had meant for good, Samson turns into evil. God gives him extraordinary strength. 
an extraordinary calling. His life had significant purpose, significant meaning, but he treated his strength, his calling, his desires and drives like a toy rather than a responsibility. So many of us, we treat the calling of God and the purposes of God and the, and the God-given desires and the God-given drives that he's put in our life, and instead of treating them with, as a responsibility, we treat them like a toy. And when you treat those things like toys, they tend to wreck your life and you find yourself stuck to a rhino that wrecks everything and it wrecks others and it wrecks you and I. And so as, he's, so as Samson is being dragged through life by his desires and drives, even by his anger, where he allows anger to stir selfish revenge rather than serving the needs of his nation. And even then, God was merciful. And so God continues to work through Samson and he does serve as a great warrior. He does deliver the nation of Israel from the oppression of the Philistines. But even in God's mercy, Samson seems to revert back to his old way of living. He falls back into the pattern of those desires and drives that were destroying him. And this time he, he sees another Philistine woman named Delilah and he goes after her. And Delilah conspires with her friends, other enemies, and agrees to seduce Samson in order to find out the source of his strengths because he was constantly winning every battle. And so the Philistines wanted to figure out how could we undo his strength? And so she keeps seducing him and luring him to tell her the secret to his strength. And finally he says, look, my hair has never been cut. If you cut my hair, I'll be, uh, I'll be like every other man. And so she gets him to go to sleep. She puts soldiers outside the home. She shaves off his hair. And then she yells, and this is where our story is gonna continue. Because what you get is the mess of Samson's life. And so here it is. And, and so after she cuts his hair, there's just this little line and it says this, and his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. See, it wasn't just that his strength left him, it was that the presence of God had withdrawn from him. And now he's on his own, alone. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, took him down to Gaza, Binding him with the bronze shackles, they set him to grinding in the prison. And let's just stop there because here is what superglue does in our life. Here's what happens when we're driven by our desires. When we stop thinking and we let desires and drives take over, we tend to find ourselves like Samson, broken and blinded and bound on our way to prison where we are used and abused. And that's the story of Samson. He makes a mess of his life. He makes bad decisions. And you could look at him and go, what were you thinking? 
And he might have looked at you and said, I wasn't thinking. But the story doesn't end there. Because God sees people who are unqualified and unfit, who, who've given up on their own life, who've made a mess of their life, and God intervenes. And God takes messed up stories and he does something unlikely in their life because God is the God of the unlikely. Because God has the ability to turn tragedy into triumph and our pain into purpose. And God takes people who are unqualified and does the most unlikely with them, how? And I want you to just kind of visualize this crazy guy, Ronald, who's got his hands super glued to a rear end. And, and that, that's kind of the picture in reverse I wanna give you because here's what it is. Uh, Samson had nowhere to turn. He's holding on to um, a wooden uh, pole that he had to walk around that they would use to grind the wheat. And he's being used like cattle, like an ox. He's got nothing to hold on to. He's got nowhere to turn. But then listen to this next verse. So here he is bound and blinded and, and chained in prison. And verse 22 says, but the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. I know that sounds so obvious, doesn't it? If you shave a guy with hair, you shave his hair off, it'll usually start to grow again. Now, anybody who's bald here, this is an offense to you. It's just, it's just that like, here's what happens, right? Like we think it's really obvious, but there's something not so obvious going on. And it's this, his hair isn't gonna give him strength. But the reason that verse is written is because it's a subtle hint that when Samson had failed, Samson had forfeited his future, that God had not failed. And God had not forfeited Samson's future. And so what do you and I do when life feels messed up and broken and everything feels like it's falling apart and we don't know which end is up and our hands are stuck in the wrong place? I wanna challenge you with this, simply this, just like Samson, we grab hold of God. I want you to grab hold of God. And you don't really do the holding. The only, the, here's what you and I can do. We just get some crazy glue and squirt it on our hands and God help. You, you get that? Let me talk to all of you, all of our campuses, because these guys, they're not really with me. Hey, I want you to take the crazy glue of faith and I want you to just put it on your hands. I want you to grab hold of God. I want you to write that down and pull out a smartphone or a tablet and just simply this, when life goes wrong, and you're doing what's right in your own eyes and you find yourself in deep trouble. <laughs> Finally, really? Here I am preaching my heart out, telling you guys all kinds of godly things and that's Lifehouse for you. All right, here's the thing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna challenge you to grab hold of God, but I know, you and I, we make messes out of our lives and we go in wrong directions and we do things we should not do. And, and, and you think you've done some bad things and you, you think you've made some mess of your life. I wanna challenge you, not nearly as bad as you are thinking. Me, well, no, no, that's, I said that backwards. It's far worse than you think. 
You might, have think, you might have thought you messed up your life and forfeited your future. You messed it up worse than you thought. You, fit, you forfeited more of your future than you realize because sin, which is a spiritual force that lives inside of every one of us, you and I were born with an instinct to do what's right in our eyes, which means we're doing what's wrong in God's eyes. This sin drive, which drives our desires, it doesn't just wreck our lives. It doesn't just cause us to superglue ourselves to per proverbial rhinos that leads to a pile of mess on our lives and it causes destruction around us. No, no, sin doesn't just wreck our lives and wreck others' lives. Sin forfeits not just our future on earth, it forfeits our forever future. Hey, you try to say that. It forfeits our forever future. Meaning, it doesn't just destroy us here and now, it destroys us for all of eternity. That's the bad news. Let me give you the rest of Samson's story. His hair starts to grow, which is a foreshadowing that his faith comes back. He starts trusting in God. He turns his attention away from women. He's blind. And, and now he turns his focus to God. And in that place of desperation, he cries out to God for mercy and for help and for forgiveness. And, and in that place, God restores his strength one last time. And, and they, the Philistines, they drag him out and they wanna use him like entertainment. And so they, they're having a big party of celebration to their gods. And so they wanna mock Samson and his God and they tie him, tie him between two pillars. And, and he prays and says, God, just one more time, restore my strength. And he pushes down the pillars and the entire temple where they're worshiping collapses. And the, and the end of that, it says, more of the enemies died in his death than he ever killed in battle. And I know you hear that and you're like, that's messed up. Like, that's not a, that's not a good story. Well, I mean, what do you expect? We're reading the book of Judges. All right, no, no, no. Here, here's the deal. No, no, no. But here's, here's what I want you to catch. The story isn't about Samson. Samson points to Jesus. The story's all about Jesus. And you and I, we're like the nation of Israel. We do dumb things and we, we're in a cycle of sin. But Jesus, like Samson, had a miraculous birth. There was a promise given to his mother that he would become a great deliverer, the deliverer of not just a nation, but nations. And so God becomes one of us, Jesus, for the express purpose of taking on our mess, our sin. Jesus is nailed with his hands stretched out not because of his own sin or his own shame or his own scandals, but because our sin and our shame and our scandals were heaped on Jesus and he bore them willingly so that when he died, he died once for all. So that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith is forgiven of their sins. And when Jesus died, he destroyed our enemies, the enemies of sin and death and eternal judgment so that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith is forgiven of their sin, shame and guilt removed, and in place we're given new life because Jesus didn't just die, he rose from the dead victorious. In his death, victorious. In new life, he gives us life. You see the story of Samson's about Jesus. 
And when we believe in Jesus by faith, we are not just forgiven and given new life because Jesus died and was risen from the dead. We also receive God's spirit, which enters into our eternal invisible spirit. And when God's spirit is alive in our spirit, he is empowering us in the midst of our mess to grab hold of God. And that turns everything around. In fact, it turns it around for our friends as we asked him to share a little bit more of his story. Check this out. During this dark time, a friend invited me to church, and so I went. As I listened to the pastor share about the needs of the church and ask for volunteers, I felt God nudging me, and so I was obedient, and I began to sing and to lead worship and got involved in leadership. And I began to see that God still did have a purpose for my life. And he was able to still use me when I thought that I would never be used in ministry again. After seven years, I have grown in leadership and I've begun to gain confidence again, not only in myself, but in my calling. I read somewhere, when you get to the end of your rope, tie a knot and hold on. At any point during this journey, I could have let go of the rope. And one of my great worries was how my children would react to all that we'd gone through whether they would want to be involved in ministry, the church, even involved with God. But today, my daughters, Shalisha and Shreya, are worship leaders here at Lifehouse. And my son attends here with his family and my grandson. And I've realized now that even when things don't go as planned in life, God can create a new plan. I know I'm not at the place of full restoration where God desires me to be. But I know that I'm in God's will, and God has taken me from a, a deep crisis time in my life to a time when I do have purpose again, and I know that God is using me. And I just want to be open and willing that wherever God would lead me, that I would follow in His footsteps, be able to hear His voice, and do as He asks. So appreciate His vulnerability takes a lot to come up and just share your heart and the mess and the pain that you walk through in life. And so grateful for each of these that have shared their story, but for him to be able to just say, hey, this is the mess that I walked in. This is exactly what I felt and was going through and how we can learn from people who've walked through a life where they feel like everything's fallen apart and everything's gone wrong and they've forfeited their future and how you can just grab hold of God. When you've got nothing else to hold on to, when it even feels like the ground is falling out from underneath you, I challenge you to grab hold of God. What, let's go back to the story of Samson. And what does he do in the, in the middle of this, this season? And I wanna read this for you in verse uh, 23 through 25. Then the rulers and the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their, their God, and celebrated saying, our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. And when the people saw him, they praised their God saying, our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of prison and he performed for them. And this is when they tie him between the pillars and then this. But this, here's the thing, right? And so the, the enemy thinks he's won. And I want you to think ahead because Samson points you to Jesus, right? And so the enemy thinks he's won. He's got Jesus nailed to a cross. He thinks he's got the victory over God. 
Jesus absorbing the shame and the guilt of the sins of the world. And the enemy celebrates like the enemy celebrated here. Samson said to the servant who held his hand, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there and on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, O sovereign Lord, remember me. And I just, I want you to have this picture. So I want you to think about this goofy guy, Ronald, who sees this rhino guy going by and doesn't think, and he, he, he stretches out his hands, and, but in a, in a godly way, when you are desperate and you're in trouble and you've got nowhere to turn, I want you to say this, to grab hold of God, here, what do you do? All you do is you just reach out to him. We don't do the work, okay? I wanna be really, really clear because we're talking about grabbing hold of God, but I want you to think it's more like this. Imagine yourself in a flood and the waters are raging around you. It's a destructive flood, destroying, a, you know, destroying homes, destroying a community, and you're caught in the flood, and, and there's a chopper flying over, and there's somebody rappelling down to pull you out, and, and they're gonna do all the work. They're gonna do all of the rescuing. They're gonna do all of the saving. The only thing you can do is just reach your hand up, and they reach down, and they pull you. And here's what I want you to know. The moment you reach out to God, you discover he's already been reached to you. He's already made his arms wide open to you. He is fully available to you. In fact, you could say that Samson's prayer is a weak prayer, a strong man with a weak prayer. Oh, sovereign Lord, remember me. It's very much like the, one of the, uh, prisoners, one of the thieves that was dying on the cross next to Jesus, who in his last breath simply said, Jesus, remember me. It's basically this help. I don't even know if I have enough strength to say, save me. I'm just saying, remember me. Don't forget about me. And in your place of desperation, when life has led you to ruin and destruction, and the best you can do is muster a weak prayer of God, help, God remember me, I want you to know this, even though you have failed, God has not failed. And even though you may have been unfaithful, God is never unfaithful. God is not thwarted by your failures. Your imperfections have not stopped the promises and the purposes of God. He is faithful when we're unfaithful. He never fails even when we fail. And God can overcome our failures through his faithfulness. I want that to sit on your heart because there's a, it's very simple, right? No matter where I've gone, no matter what I've done, the simplest response if I'm going to get out of my mess is that I say, God, help. You know what that is? That's called repentance. It means I was heading this direction and I turn 180 degrees and I, and I reach out in the opposite direction. That's called repentance. It means turning the opposite way, turning away from. So if you turn away from this, you are turning toward this. That's the only thing we can do is turn toward God. And here's what you and I want. What we want is to pray and for God to send us a quick fix. But God is the response to our prayers. Did you catch that? 
So you and I, what we want to do is we want to pray and recover what is lost. We want to recover our reputation. We want to recover a job. We want to recover from our financial ruin. We want to get our house back. We want to get that relationship back. And here's what recovery does. It only brings us back to a former broken state. You never had what you hoped for. Even when our job was going great, we carried home stress. Even when the marriage was at its best, we still had arguments in the bedroom. And so when you're looking for a recovery, you are praying to return to a former state of brokenness. So God did not come to give us recovery. He came to restore us. Restoration is God's gift of redemption, meaning he purchases us from a life of ruin and sin and restores us, which means he brings us back to a former state that we've never experienced only dreamed of, a state where we are forgiven of sin and given new life. And when you experience that, that changes everything. So I want you to think, not recovery, restoration, and then this. Check this out, I wanna read the rest of this to you. This is the rest of his prayer and this is how the story concludes. Oh God, please strengthen me once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on, on the one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all of his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed more, many more when he died than while he lived. And again, if, if this story was just about Samson, you would think what a tragic mess. No, no, no. Here's the great thing about Samson's story. He lived wrong, but turned right in the end. He got it right in the end. He turned his focus to faith in God. He relied on God as a source of his strength, God on his, as his hope, and God as his future. You know what I challenge you to do? Grab hold of God for your second chance. You thought your plan A was done, that you've been ruined, that you've been washed up, that there is no hope for you. But I want you to know, Jesus has always been the plan A of your life. There has never been another plan other than your need and my need for Jesus. And God is the God of the second chance. When, you, when everything has gone wrong, we turn to God to make things right. And all we do is we reach out to God and then he takes hold of us and he's the one that turns things around. And the only thing we, we can do is cry out to him, depending on him, desperate reliance on God, a desperate cry for help, a desperate dependency on God, which stirs a confident reliance that God will always come through, that he will restore, that he will heal, that he will do what only he can do. God has not rejected you. God has not abandoned you. Even when you felt alone, even when you felt like you've messed everything up, I promise you, God has not rejected you or abandoned you. If you will 
reach to him, you will discover he has already taken hold of you. That your faith simply triggers supernatural transformation in your life, in your spirit. And when you allow God to enter into your spirit, he can turn around your story so that God steps in to messed up stories with unqualified people and he turns it into an unlikely comeback. And the only thing you and I can do Say, God, faith, the super glow. I'm gonna, God, I'm just gonna reach out. I'm gonna put my hands on you. God, help. And the moment you reach out, you discover God has already taken hold of you. And God is the God of the second chance. And he turns around our stories. But remember, just like Samson's story isn't about Samson, your story isn't about you. God will do an unlikely thing in giving you an unlikely comeback so that he can make his name known through our lives. And so where are you at right now? What have you been struggling with? What regrets, what shame, what mess from the past has become a secret that you can't hide anymore? What moment of your life where you just weren't thinking has caught up to you and you can't get yourself out of the trouble you're in? Can I assure you that when you and I take hold of God by reaching to him, and allowing him to be the God of the second chance in our life, then and only then does our story begin to turn around. God is the one who takes people who have a forfeited future, inserts his faithfulness, and then gives us an eternal future. But our response has to be, Jesus, come in my life. I repent of my old way of living. I'm inviting your spirit to enter into my spirit, to forgive me of my old way of living, and I give my whole life over to you. And maybe that's where you're at right now. And your first step is to simply really, as best you can, a weak prayer, help God. Maybe it's a, a weak, God, I'm reaching out to you, but it's not even much. I promise you, God will meet you right where you're at. For others of you, you believe in Jesus, but you've gone down a path where you're, you, you're starting to live a life that doesn't look anything like Jesus. Can I encourage you just again in your life to grab hold of God? He will forgive you. He will heal you. He's the God of the second chance. And so I want to encourage you, would you take a moment right now and would you just pray? Just, it doesn't have to be a really complicated prayer. Maybe for some of you, your prayer is, remember me, God. Would you do that right now? Would you just pause? And would you pray? Across all of our campuses right now, would you pause? And would you pray? Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, Life change happens here, so we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.